everybody. Welcome back to another week of the InFlight Podcast. I do hope you are enjoying the 5-Minute Monday shows. We finished up with a load of practical advice with Milosh, then got into something that I recorded in Tanzania, and now we're going through a series of four shows with Andy, who's serving up some pretty decent advice. This guy seems to know things. I've actually recorded all four of those shows in advance, so they're all done. This week, we're talking about quick wins, something different next week, and the week after. Hopefully, you're enjoying it. If you haven't checked out 5-Minute Mondays, please do it. And if you haven't checked us out on YouTube, please do that as well. There's loads of parts of a main show like this one, which are cut up smaller, more digestible, shorter to match some people's attention span and some of the important outtakes and as well as the whole show. So if you want to get more of a feel for the guest, then which I always feel, 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 I always feel kind of tells the story a bit better when I can see their face, their emotions and their lips and their eyes moving around, then please do go and check out the show over on YouTube. If you like it, then subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you really like it, or if you really want us to like you, leave a comment or share it with a friend. This week, we are talking all about depression and addiction or addiction and depression. I've had this argument or this thought in my mind for a long time with myself, which comes first? Are they intricately linked? What really is one without the other or the other without the other? How does it really work? Are we born with addiction? Do we learn addiction? Are we born with depression or does something spark depression? I've reached out to a group that I'm in and someone kindly came forward and said, I've suffered with addiction and depression and I'd be more than happy to talk about it. My guest today is Dan Beaumont. For a number of years, in a number of different situations, Dan has been incredibly successful in his life. However, as he tells us in the show, he was brought up in a household which was not full, but highly populated with addiction. That addiction is passed through various generations and also went into him. He has suffered with two different major bouts of depression and is now on a journey to help others talk about and deal with these two quite, as he says in the show, normal things that can happen in people's life. This week's announcements, to be totally honest with you, are mainly interesting for the ladies, which should be interesting for guys as well, because guys, you may have a lady that you believe should get stronger, fitter, faster, or you would like to, or you know one that would like to. So what do we have for you? We have Ladies Only Strengths. Boz has been running these groups for some time now. She also does pre and postpartum, which is developed into Ladies Only Strength groups. They run mornings. They also are starting to run in the evenings as well. So if you're a female and you prefer to do strength training, which I believe all females as well as males should be doing, but you prefer to do it with a group of like-minded females, then this is where you need to be. Give Boz a shout, cb at innerfight.com. She's also been very busy outside of the gym where she now has a Wednesday morning ladies cycling group. They leave from the bottom of the stick at Al-Qudra at 6 a.m. It is open to anyone, all abilities. There is no charge, she tells me. It's just ladies having a nice ride. Two announcements for the ladies. Guys, if you're listening, please do share them with the ladies. That's it for this week's announcements. This is episode number 800. 34 at the Inner Fight Podcast. 
addiction and depression with Dan. Enjoy the show. Folks, welcome back to the show and welcome to Dan. Dan, I massively appreciate you agreeing to talk about this subject with us. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well and thank you for letting me come on the show as well. Um, it's 8am here in England, in cold England at the moment. Um, yeah, so thank you for letting me come on the show. Mate, I want to dig, jump right in at the deep end. When you think, or when you used to think about addiction, what came into your mind? Hmm, addiction, addiction. It's a, it's a big topic, um, especially in my family as well. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about addiction is uh, compulsive behavior that leads to destructive consequences. Um, in my life, um, there have been many obvious kind of uh, things to do with addiction, but it's the more subtle ones. Um, and the first example that comes to my mind is sugar. Um, but but I would say I would say addiction in my mind is anything that is any kind of action or behavior that leads to destructive consequences. Um, yeah. I guess this I was gonna save this one for for later. What's what comes first though? Addiction or depression, or is there an order? Because we often hear these talked about in the same sort of sentence sometimes in on, on, on the same page where, how do you see them sitting? Um, so I can only speak from my experience again. Um, but usually, cause I I've, I've experienced a couple of bouts of depression in my life, a couple of serious bouts of depression. Um, and, um, the depression has sometimes led to addictive behaviors um, so I'd say on that side of the coin, they are, they're related. Um, on the other side of the coin, I've, uh, addiction leading to depression. Um, I, I'd say that hasn't been the case in my life so far. Um, but I've definitely experienced that in, um, close proximity with my father, for example, um, who struggled with you know, uh, addiction to alcohol for many years as a kind of consequence of maybe low mood depression. Mm. Um, so I would say, I would say that they're, they are, they are linked, but they can also come very, very separate as well. Like somebody can easily be, um, depressed and then not engage in the addictive tendencies. I certainly remember, um, when I was depressed in in 2021 on the back of coming home from uh, from living abroad for six years, this kind of like depersonalization, I was running a business in Romania, a, a hostel and charity, and then COVID hit and sunk those businesses. And I came home to the UK and I was just like, what the hell is all of this? Um, like, how do I even fit in here after eight years of living abroad? Um so I experienced all of this kind of depersonalization and and trying to find my place in the UK. And it, it led to, you know, it led to full on depression. Um, I was living in London at the time, um, you know, no proximity to nature or anything like that. And uh, 
I can only speak for how I felt during that time and whether did I lead to, did it lead to kind of addictive tendencies? No, not in that circumstance. I actually retreated from life. I, I became very low mood. Um, I retreated from my friends and all the pre- pleasurable things that I do in my life. I kind of uh, went into my my little cave and that would be, that would mean sleeping you know, extended hours, not really feeling like I wanted to to do anything with my life. Those things that were pleasurable, running, nature, all of that just went out of out of the window. Um, and then coping mecha- mechanism became just simply just simply doing nothing. Um, so so those addictive tendencies, such as um, and even on the positive side, running and all of this that I would I would do to say stay healthy, kind of fell out of the window. So I think it's a lot more complex than mm. than kind of like one leading to the other or the other leading to uh, the other. Um, so so yeah, that's good, mate. Because if you'd have said the other way around, then we'd have struggled for things to talk about for the next 40 minutes. But now that you (laughs) framed it like that, we've got so much to talk about. Where can we start? I want to start by a couple of things that you said there. And I think we're going to jump around a bit here because I've got things from childhood, but I've also got this great example that maybe resonates with a lot of people that's quite fresh 2020 2021 you lost some Mm -hmm. businesses you moved back to the uk now you said two things there that i think a lot of listeners will pick up on you retreated from nature and you also stopped doing running you stopped running which was something that you knew brought you a lot of satisfaction were you conscious of those things mate did you consciously say i'm just too depressed to go out and do it or can you talk us through maybe how that transpired yeah, I can, I can, I can picture myself in that room in that moment when, when I was thinking about this at the time. They just feel insurmountable. They feel so difficult to do, and and people who have gone through depression will understand that. Like the the, you know, an ordinary five k run that does take a little bit of you know kind of effort to get on your shoes to get out. There is always resistance there. Even even now, when I'm in a good headspace, like I, I procrastinate with the running, even though I should be running 100k a week, <laughs> uh, I procrastinate, and I and I, it, it, you know, it's hard to do. But it just feels a hundred times harder when it's dep- when you when you're depressed, and there's no kind of it's it's really difficult to explain. But th- even going to the supermarket feels like a massive chore, and you just don't want to do it you just don't want to do it there's something in your head that says no not today let's just sit in bed and and there was all of this kind of reasoning with myself I was like okay I can stay in bed for another half an hour it won't hurt you know the the day's still young it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon um but but those tasks that and those pleasurable things in life just don't seem pleasurable anymore and that's that's the really difficult thing to explain to people that that maybe haven't been depressed before because they're like well just get up just yeah. get up shake it off and uh, it's it's and i was one of those person one of those people before when you know before i experienced my first couple of bouts of depression um because i always felt like why can't they just you know get up and get moving and stuff it's not it when you go through it 
and me being a very motivated person, um, you know, when I'm not depressed, um, I've experienced firsthand how it feels. And uh, it's just difficult to do those things. They just don't seem enjoyable. They don't seem like they're going to bring any joy. All you want to do in that moment is retreat and rest and relax. And I think that's maybe the body's survival mechanism. Yeah. It's like, okay, you're depressed at this moment in time. We're not going to get better by activity. We're going to get better by relaxing and and uh, accepting that this is the moment. Um, so for me, running running is probably an extreme example but mm. even simple stuff like showering or going to the shops became you know really difficult I, I often said to my friend as well like more difficult than running a marathon mm. like the 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 kind of activation energy or whatever that I needed to go to the shop when I was depressed was more difficult than running a marathon of like just because of my mindset at that moment in time and again people who haven't been depressed will probably listen to that and think oh well that doesn't make sense um but you're you're in a completely different headspace when you're depressed yeah i i can imagine i i think you're absolutely right mate we've probably got i don't know what percentage and what percentage but for a lot of people, they're just, how can this be, you know? And, and I think mate, as like, I coach a lot of people. And I think if you'd have said to me five years ago, I'd, I'd have had exactly the same approach. I'd be like, come on, Dan, just get up. Let's just go for yeah. a walk. It can't be that hard. Like it's not, I'm not asking you to let's stay on the running theme because it resonates with, with you and with I, and, and probably with a load of listeners as well, but it's not like we're asking you to go out and, and, and PB your, your marathon, you know, mm. in, in the rational in the rational mind for the person that hasn't suffered from depression, but you're sat there and you're like, that's actually just to get up is way, it's way, way harder than I'd rather, like you said, mate, I'd rather go and try and PB my marathon in that moment. It must be, it must be a men like a crazy sort of place of, of absolute conflict in the mind though. Or isn't it? It, it, it mass, it massively is. And like, it, it feels like you're, summit in a mountain like and and what I learned very quickly and I didn't do this the first time when I struggled with depression for the first time um I I fought it and that's a bad strategy um you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna uh, overcome depression by trying to fight it I learned the second time around that what it's a signal from the body that something needs to change and uh it's a signal from the body that that you just need to chill out and relax and rest. I hadn't done that in my life. I'm 32 now. And a couple of years ago when I got, when I, when I experienced my bout of depression, I hadn't relaxed for the first 32 years of my life. I've just been work, 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 go, go, go. That's probably my addiction is work. And, and still I struggle with that today. Um, but my kind of attitude towards depression the first time round was okay. The, the, let's get a strategy for this. Let's 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 um, create kind of a game plan to get through this. Yeah. And it was just it, it's totally totally not what the body needs. You can't you can't uh, you can't perform at the level that you 
perform at when you're normal, when your head's in a good space. So like creating strategies and all of these kind of things to and and action lists and to-do lists and I'll do this and that and that and I'll get up and I'll run for 30 minutes just doesn't work. My my depression was a signal from the body that I needed to relax, a signal from the body that I needed to chill out and rest and meditate and be okay with doing nothing which is bloody hard for somebody that that loves working all the time so um that's that's the signal that i i got and then i i started to change my ways in a in that direction rather than um rather than fighting it rather than trying to summit that mountain um just being like no this is what the body needs it needs to chill at this moment in time and I started to get better. Do you go through, is there a lot at the start, mate, of almost like the, the sort of what's defined as the first stage of grief, denial, like I'm I'm not in this. <laughs> so you, you do have this constant war of your body and your mind because it's all one is saying, Dan, relax, chill the fuck out, mate. You've been going like <laughs> accelerated to the, to the floor all your life, but you're like, no. I, I'm not doing that because I know that I don't have to do that. So there's this, there's this massive, yeah. you're, you're, you're denying that anything's wrong from the get go. You're in conflict for sure. Yeah. Like, like my, the only strategy I knew at that moment in time was to, to do more mm. and you just can't do more. Like the body says, no, that's, that's oh. the point here that the mind saying like, here, are the, here are the ways that I know to deal with this. Mm. which are go running uh, eat salmon <laughs> um you know all of these all of these little things that you read on the internet of like almost like there's a strategy to get through it but uh, my body was saying no and every time i do those things it was like nothing brought me joy at all i just wanted to melt in my bed um and i'm a, and if you, if you if you knew me i'm a really active person like i'm always on the go i'm always running i'm always moving i'm always doing something but um in that moment my body just didn't want that um but it was a really really both of the bouts of depression that I've had in my life were really really profound learning experiences and 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 now being in a good place in you know July 2023 I can say that I'm grateful for those um uh, experiences because they've allowed me to realign myself at what I consider to be uh, a higher consciousness and a better understanding and awareness of myself maybe we'll come back to a couple of those tools mate but i want to skip back to something that you said very early in the show which was you were brought up in a household of addiction do you want to mm. talk us through a little bit of that and did have you linked any of that to sort of what how your personality was shaped and therefore why how you got into a state of depression or is it still a little bit is it difficult or is aren't there links or what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm training to become a psychotherapist and I'm, I'm, I'm in therapy. So I've explored a lot of this, although it's a constant journey. And like, I, I still know very little about myself, um, even four years into therapy. So, um, so yeah, as you, as you mentioned, that's, that's correct. Like I grew up in a household where um, my dad struggled with alcohol. Uh, pretty much since he was 16 is now um, 62 and he struggled so he, he struggled with alcohol for a significant portion of his adult life 
and I was around that as a kid and I just remember you know seeing him out of it in the back garden asleep in the wheelbarrow and and just really you know reliant on this uh, substance that that, that that impacts a lot of people in the world um that led to my mum's marriage and with him breaking down and him leaving and essentially him being vacant for a large part of my upbringing um and my mum bringing us up by her <clears throat> by herself um but when he was there he was amazing like he, he was the one that used to take us on the mountains he he he's a big hiker himself and we come from a hiking background and a you know a family that love movement and and nature so when he was there he was amazing um but but alcohol uh sadly has controlled his life to a certain degree and uh that's how i grew up so i grew up with maybe kind of a lot of anger and resentment towards my father and i started drinking when i was 12 um and so that's a young age in Britain, but it's pretty normal actually in the north of Britain. I grew up on a council estate. That's what you do at 12, like on the weekends after school. Um, and, you know, I had a group of mates and I'd, I'd rob booze from my mum's shed and stuff like that. You know, like typical stuff that a 12 year old would do. Um, and then we'd go down to the park and drink and stuff like that. Um, but I remember vividly kind of that, that, alcohol um although it felt good to be drunk and you know around my mates and stuff like that I remember the first drink that I ever had and I didn't like the taste of it and this is this is a really important arc in the story and that, that later because um I essentially you know like a like a, a northern person a typical northern person uh drank every weekend binge drink um, I'd either be, you know, sick in the club, um, or I'd be, you know, happy, or sometimes I even got into fights and there was a lot of, you know, anger and resentment there around my, my father. Um, but it just didn't bring out the best side of me. Um, and long, long stories, very short. Uh, I, I drank until my early twenties until a, f a few big changes in my life. Number one was going to university and just being around completely different people. And then number two was traveling, where I met somebody who didn't drink. Um, so long, long story short, after years of, you know, so social drinking just to fit in and, you know, because everybody else was doing that in the north of England. And you, you're coming up in the world when you're, when you're a teenager, you, you want to be liked, you want to be accepted, all of those things. So what do I do? I, I do what my mates do and drink on the weekend, even though um even though I didn't like it um but essentially at 24 when uh when I met this particular person in in uh, Nepal when I was trekking the Himalayas and so I was like wow you can have a life without drinking I I quit from one day to the next and I haven't I haven't touched alcohol for for eight years now and it's single-handedly the best decision of my life because really that that uh, um that's that's the the story of addiction in on the Beaumont side of my family on my dad's side of the family his brother unfortunately died very young 49 50 of uh, alcohol poisoning struggled his whole life and then um it skipped a generation with my mum with my dad's mum and dad but then their 
granddad struggled and stuff. So it's an it's an evident theme in 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 that side of the family. And then on my mum's side as well, you know, her dad struggled to a certain degree as well. So it was it was a very very good decision that I quit. And um, one of my good friends um, said it best. He was like, Dan, you might have just stamped out six hundred years of addiction right there maybe not for my children or for 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 the people for for my you know future kids or whatever but for me it's it's I have a a really positive relationship with alcohol now and it's also enabled me to rekindle my relationship with my dad who still struggles to this day with alcohol I have a very uh different perspective on uh, addiction now and alcohol his his on his alcohol do you talk um, to him about it mate oh yeah lots like like um i back in 2016 when i was struggling with my depression one of the things i did was to 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 help myself was go on a walk and i walked across uh, spain on the camino de santiago so it's a thousand kilometers over 30 days and in that journey i like I, I I fought a lot and I wrote a lot. And one of the things was that I wanted to rekindle my relationship with my dad after, you know, being resentful and angry to him for many years during my teenage years. And um, after that journey, like I, I reached out to him and it was just like, look, I love you, man. Um, and uh, I want to I want to hear your perspective, because I I'd just been trying to change him my whole life been like no you shouldn't drink you should be like this but but no that's his story and that's his journey and then when I actually you know took time to listen to him and to hear why he drank and why and what his reasonings were and 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 um and what it brought him I I understood why he needed it and maybe my perspective on whether he should quit or shouldn't quit uh, has changed now to a degree i don't i don't believe he he should quit at this point it's too far far in is that hard for you as as his son mate to after what you've done and and what you've been through how how do you make peace with the the fact that you see and you've seen for so long and you've seen the impact of your dad's addiction on him and on you and on those around you but now you've had to you've almost just had to accept it and and yeah go i think for many years i was just embarrassed like that that was that was the key feeling like i never wanted to introduce my mates to him um because i didn't know how he would be whether he'd be out of it wherever because it you know when you're a kid you just you look you you want role models in your life and i didn't really have that with my father well i I didn't see his good qualities because i just saw addicted uh, alcoholic um, but I actually have a really peaceful relationship with him now um, in that we get on, we laugh like crazy. We're like kids. Um, he's more like a mate, <laughs> which is, which is, which is good. Like, and when we ring him, it's always a jokey phone call and stuff. Um, but I've accepted his alcoholism. I'm not trying to change him anymore. Cause I, I realized that I, I can't change him and you can't change people. Mm. Um, you can inspire by action. And interestingly, me quitting has inspired him to cut down so last last year of a year i he did 200 days without alcohol which is pretty damn impressive 
Wow. When you look at that, he's been he's been drinking for nearly fifty uh, forty years. Yeah, that's very. Crazy. And by not, I didn't tell him once to do it or anything. He just saw me um, not drinking and living life and having fun and all of that and living a good life and doing good stuff. And he was like, "I'm gonna quit." So he he created this little rule to himself where he'd. Uh, his first rule was that he'd only drink at 527 every day. So he has this weird little, weird little ritual that he's, he'd only drink if he drinks, he'd only drink at 527, which I find hilarious. That's awesome. um, <laughs> so he's not like a morning alcoholic drinker or anything like that. Uh, so he has that under control very well now, apart from if he comes and visits me, he's in holiday mode if he comes and visits me. Um, and then the second thing he did, he said he, he wouldn't drink on a, a weekend. So Friday, Saturday and Sunday, wow. that's three days there. Um, and that equated to, you know, the 200 days over a year or whatever it is. I don't know, four days or whatever he did. Wow. And he managed, you know, 200 days in a year of not drinking, which when you look at the, you know, the long arc of a year, that's really impressive. Yeah, it's cool. It's really, really impressive. And that was, and, and that really made me realize I was like, aha, like I've been trying to change in my whole life. Yeah. Like until I was, until like before I walked the Camino and then I just let him get on with it and didn't, did, you know, didn't hit, you know, hit him every time, hit him with words every time he was like drinking. Um, he started sharing with me. He was started sharing his, you know, why he did it opposed to my sister and I hope she's not listening to this she just gives him a hard time still and he doesn't tell her that he drinks and stuff and like he hides it and stuff like that and he doesn't do that with me anymore which is why we have this interesting relationship he's like oh Dan I you know I dropped the ball today I, I ended up drinking this morning and whatever it is and stuff he, he doesn't have a problem sharing with me who's the person who doesn't drink yeah um and he doesn't lie about it anymore or like try and hide it. So that's I cool. think we've progressed. I think we've progressed massively in the, the relationship. But that's probably a massive testament to how you're handling it, mate, because and and this is not to insult anyone out there who's quit alcohol, but I find a lot of people that have quit alcohol are constantly trying to sort of push the same thing onto others. And yeah. you know, for sure you could talk very very positively and you could sell sobriety to us however mm -hmm. i think like you said with, with with your dad once you came to peace and accepted that he's going to go his way and you're going to support him the best you can the whole table started to turn rather than i quit you're all dickheads you know follow me sort of thing and i i i see that a lot because also i mean i don't speak a lot on the show about alcohol and I don't speak a lot on my social media about alcohol, but I generally think that there's, there's sort of two or three zones for people, isn't there? There's those that just can't have it because mm. it just leads, leads to bad things and they can try many things and they just need to not have it. You know, and it's like many things in life. Then there's those that sort of sit in the middle, you know, that can use alcohol in a, in a, I don't know, mate, if it's a positive way or, you know, just they can use it in, in moderation and it's not, it's never a big deal if they have it, if they don't have it, you know, and then, then there's kind of the others that are not, not really too sure. They might go on sort of big benders once a year and then not have it for 300 days. And it's just like, you yeah. know, it's, 
So we're in this we're in, we're in this area, but I do, and maybe you've got some thoughts on that. I do find that there is an increasing number of people, which is great, that have been more vocal about stopping alcohol, but they then try and sort of ram it down people's throats. And I've never felt so good. And this is amazing. And you should try it and all this. And, but you, mm-hmm. you seem so much more, I guess <laughs> you said it, mate, walking a thousand Ks on the Camino way. I know a couple of people have done it. There's a lot of time to think about how you're going to handle this. And you've come to this almost beautiful state, mate, where you know how to handle it with your dad and maybe you do it with, with your friends as well. I don't, I don't know. Have you got some thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I, I historically I would try and be the guy who changed people or whatever. But now I realize you can't change people. What's right for me is not right for you. Like you've had, you know, unique experiences in your life. So like I know nothing about your life. So who am I to come and tell you what you should do? So the, the the only thing that you can do that we can do is inspire by action. Like, and you don't need to do anything. You don't need to try and change people. And it just doesn't, it, I find it doesn't land well with me when people tell me what to do. I don't, I just don't enjoy it. And I, I'm cheeky. And I, resist, <laughs> I, <can see. laughs> I, I, I start poking and I'm like, no, I want to do the opposite. Of course, like, but we're so, all but, we're all like that, aren't we? I mean, in, uh, or ninety percent of us are like, you know, don't touch likes, the fire. You put your hand in. Who it. likes being who likes being told what to do? Like, Nobody. like my mum would say one thing, and then I do the opposite, like just to annoy her when I was younger, cheeky, and that's part of my personality, and I love it. So, yeah. um, I think I've realised now that I can't change people, and it's not my duty to, and uh, I don't want to as well. Um, so. I'm I'm I inspire by action and and that's kind of the philosophy that I go on and as soon as I did that with my father everything changed in a really positive direction um and yeah I don't like seeing it as well really if some it's it's this it's this I'm better than you kind of a- attitude when you say that like oh look I'm doing this and you should be doing this as well it implies that like that I know something you don't know and maybe and and I don't like that the the kind of tone of that um so I wouldn't do it to somebody else now and I actually go around my my narrative on alcohol now might surprise a few people because I I genuinely don't think it's a good idea for my dad to quit Mm -hmm. um I think it in controlled moderation in his moderation which is you know these ideas of 527 only drinking at 527 and you know three four days off it and only drinking in the evening a couple a couple of cans or a bit of red wine I actually think that that helps him um and I can give a very good example about this because one of the rituals of my dad is that he hikes a hell of a lot he loves mountains he loves climbing noggin is a, a drink in england noggin means like a just a little you know a little swift one um he treats himself to a drink and i always think about that as an example because i'm like well that little drink or whatever just one he never goes past that uh, gets him up the mountain like literally gets him up the mountain that's his motivation for going up the mountain the view at the top and a drink is such a ritual for him and so I thought about it and I was like, what if he didn't have any alcohol? Like, what if he went cold turkey? 
then would he have the motivation to go up the mountain? I don't know, maybe, but probably not. Like, I think it's a big part of his life and, and not to mention the biological impact of, you know, going cold turkey if you've been drinking for that long as well. So, so I, I think, I think like the way he's got it now, the way he deals with his alcohol now is, is healthy apart from when he goes on holiday and comes and visits me, uh, which I had to deal with, like, cause he, he sees it as a holiday and then like all of his rules go out of the window and stuff like that. But when he's at home, you know, at his house, he's got his rituals yeah. and these rituals really help him. Um, so so, so my going back to your question, my perspective on you know alcohol. Should you quit? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. That I know people in my life who have good relationships with alcohol because it's not the it's not the substance. It's the attitude towards the substance. Yeah. Um, and this is what it wasn't good for me, but it it might be okay for you. Like it might be okay to drink you know three pints a week or whatever. That that's not good for for me and my makeup and all of that so so yeah one thing you've said a few times now dan and which i've obviously also found out about you you are taking action to inspire people and you've done some pretty cool things to help others mate and you're also massively involved in i, I don't know if, if if we're if it's right because you probably you you work a lot with with nick butter who's obviously incredibly well known for 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 his exploits i'm don't, not sure if they should overshadow yours mate but you've done some amazing things you you cycled ten thousand k's around the uk for for it's an organization mind mind over mountain tell us talk to us a little bit about some of the stuff you've done mate and and building on that theme of inspiring people through through your actions because you are absolutely no slouch yourself yeah i mean i was just giggling to myself because i was i was thinking is that an addiction in itself as well <laughs> well i was gonna ask you before actually when you said when you quit alcohol in in, in but maybe we're gonna get there in the next few minutes let's see yeah no like it probably is what i substituted kind of like that i have an addic addictive personality for sure and I, I mean to do these kind of things like you have to be quite obsessive and uh i think that's that's part of a, an addictive personality. Um, yeah, so I've always loved nature um, and running, moving, cycling, hiking. I come from a family of, of, of that as well. I grew up in the beautiful Lake District and we were out on the fells as kids. And that's really prevailed through, through my life. And um, when I quit alcohol, I started doing various charity things. And uh, that was a the first thing that I did was the the the, the walks, the Caminos. I've walked about five thousand kilometers across Spain. Um, I just love it. I love it. Right. Like I, I, yeah. And then the next big thing was the ten thousand kilometer bike trip around the UK. That was kind of a homecoming tour when I moved back to the UK, um, and that was brilliant because I got to meet people from all walks of life. And I think the word that summed up that journey was kindness. Like there was just so many brilliant people that I met on that trip who helped me who invited me into their home um, and we ended up raising eight thousand pounds for mind over mountains who do incredible work for people who are struggling with depression and addiction and and other mental health uh, issues by taking them onto the mountains uh for for walks with uh uh with with 
therapists and counsellors uh, there to guide to guide that and it's just that combination of counseling and and walking that's just really magical um and now recently i'm doing um the big four rounds of the uk which which is pretty it's tough much tougher than the ten thousand kilometer bike trip um so basically there's there there's in england wales scotland and northern ireland there's these 100k uh, classic round routes that are made, were made famous by these famous fell runners who lived in each of these countries uh, that broadly kind of uh, outlines the UK. And uh, each of them are 100K and about 8,500 8, meters of elevation gain. And the challenges and the mountain runs as well. So, and the challenges to do each of those in less than 24 hours, which is they're they're bloody difficult it's it's not <laughs> not easy stuff and having only come into fell running eight months ago uh this is this is a hell of a challenge like because historically i've just been a you know a casual runner i played football when i was growing up so i i ran to stay fit maybe 40 50k a week 10ks here and there never never more than a half marathon so i've completely upped uh my running in the last eight months um to the point of like as hard as it gets in fell running really in in mountain running for 100k anyways yeah. uh with the elevation and the the weather and the navigation that you need for these for these uh routes that i'm doing this year it's incredible mate it seems like a lot of what you do is and, and as you said you're, you're you're studying as well a lot of what you're doing is inspired by your past to help people in in the future who were perhaps have been through addiction which you identified through depression which you've been through twice do you feel that there i think you touched on it a little bit earlier mate they're almost stages of your life that have i guess almost provided your calling for for what you're going to do because everything mm-hmm. that i can sort of find about you online which is sometimes is a little bit dangerous and sometimes a little bit presumptuous but most things are all sort of into helping others which is mm-hmm. which is absolutely incredible dan mm. yeah i mean like your I, I think this is true to say that like your pain can be your purpose mm. um and it, it, when you were talking then, I was thinking about Viktor Frankl, Man's yeah, Search for Me. Such, yeah. such a great book. And it's this idea that we can, that suffering can, 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 can down us. It can make us suffer. But could, could there be opportunity in our suffering? Could there be purpose? Could there be opportunity to help other people? And I think I've just found that, like, that, that, like, depression is a natural part of life. And so is addiction. Like we're we're all we're all on a scale of addiction, in my opinion. Um, some more than others for certain things. Um, I can t- I could think of like you know five or six different examples of how I'm addicted at this moment in time. Um, and you could, probably could as well. Hundred percent, mate. It's such a normal part of life, and I think I realise this now, and that um. I've, I've come to terms with the idea that like, okay, if, if life is about suffering and I say this in an optimistic way, mm. if we're going to suffer, like, how can I make the best of that? And that's, that's really the key thing. Cause like you, you can't live a life without suffering. There's that you're going to, you know, people are going to die. People are going to let you down. Stuff's going to go wrong in your body. So, so like 
honestly, how can you make the most of this? Because the other way is miserable. Mm. Like the other, and I've been there as well. Like the other way of just, I don't want to say succumbing to the, to the suffering. Succumbing is probably not the best word, but like just thinking that that's the only way mm. is, is, is only going to lead to more suffering. So it's like, okay, if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to deal with these things, if I'm going to deal with, you know, alcohol and depression and stuff like that, how can I, how can I use this to help other people? Uh, if it's, if it's a natural part of life. And I think that's made me stronger as well, because I don't resist it anymore. And I understand that I'm not abnormal by going through these, these things. And that actually it's a shared, it's a shared, um, struggle that we're going through and I've realized that by training to become a psychotherapist because the more I speak to people and the more I help people and speak about their issues I might like actually we're all pretty normal we're all struggling with the same things just different contexts Hmm. um so so the more I the more I go through the world that the more I try to vocalize what I'm struggling with because I know that everybody else is everybody doesn't I've never met somebody who, who doesn't have their own fair share of struggles and because that's how life is like and that is not pessimistic at all that's that's optimistic because you can do a lot with that yeah I I, I totally agree with you mate and it, it's it's a lot of awareness around feelings and when we create awareness around a feeling we can actually leverage that feeling as almost as a, a superpower rather than trying to block it off and always think of it as a negative we can just embrace it and we can understand it and it can as it as it's done for you it can it can lift us up in so many ways exactly and i i think that's the only way really if if you're gonna if you've got it in your family if you've if you you know if you're struggling with it yourself it's such an internal thing but think about like how can i be of service to others how can i help other people who might be struggling with this because that was the first thing that helped me depression makes you massively inwards you're always focusing on yourself when you're depressed like and and like the really the step out of depression was a talking about it and then b helping others who are struggling with it so that's when i started work at uh, talk club which is yeah. which is here Talk Club, the men's mental health charity that I work for, who are doing amazing stuff to help men speak up uh, about their struggles, because in England and maybe in Australia as well, um, men have a pretty hard time about talking about their feelings and what they're going through. Mm. Uh, Whereas, you know, when would you see, you know, a bunch of men at a cafe sat around a table talking about their feelings? Mm. We, we, We like to talk about, you know, stuff like football and music and all of that kind of stuff and you know quite I don't want to say superficial things but like base layer things but Mm. do we often speak about our emotions not really so uh, I wanted to try and help men speak up about what's actually going on for them because it's by speaking that we can externalize what's internal it's a really interesting point Dan but I think it also goes back to Maybe what we're saying about how addiction was perhaps passed and it skipped a generation in 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 your case, but then it then it hit you with alcohol as well as it hit your dad. I think we're we've been trained. You're a little bit younger than I am. I'm I'm 44, but 
I never had those conversations, even at school. We were never, I went to boarding school in the UK and we were never asked sort of how we felt. So maybe it's generational and it needs, it needs shows like this, I guess. We'll, we'll hold our yeah. hand up. That we've done something good today, you know, and it needs organizations like you're, you're a big part of talk club, you know, and it, there's, there's so many different. Um, I remember what's the, uh, there's a run one as well. Run, talk, run, which is yeah. just, you know, which is just amazing. And I, I think as, as maybe you've got some thoughts on this, mate. I, I think my personal opinion is it needs time, you know, and yes, we're making good steps forward, but I think we need to be, it, it's again, it's like training for a marathon. Yes, you can train for a marathon in two months, but will your marathon be the best marathon of your life? Well, it will be at that stage, but it won't be maybe what your potential is. Whereas if we get you for nine or 10 months to train for that marathon, we're probably going to get a better result. So the talks that men are having, I think we should be okay that they start slowly and they progress mm -hmm. slowly because we we need to we need to train the subconscious to to know what the fuck we're doing because we haven't done it for so many years basically right it's it's so true and there's there's something that really needs to be trained and that's giving men the language to be able to sp speak about what they're feeling a lot of men don't know how to explain what they're going through like yep. i did like until i started therapy until i started uh training to become a psychotherapist I use very limited language to explain what I was going through. I'm sad, happy, angry, yeah. excited. There's four words or whatever trying to explain, you know, the complexity of what you're actually feeling. Uh, it's a, a language issue. And when you get men uh, in a room together speaking about what they're actually going through, slowly but surely, like they start developing uh, better ways to communicate what they're actually going through. Cause I didn't ever consider that that was an issue that, that, um, that like, if you can't articulate what you're feeling, then you're just not going to talk about what you're feeling. Are you? Um, but, but um, you're totally right. If you're not, if you grew up in the, the English um, schooling system, I didn't get taught, you know, what does anger mean? What are the shades of anger? you know what's what are the shades of excitement all of this kind of stuff what does this feeling mean how do I process it how do I talk about it all of these things you don't get taught as a kid um unless you've got really you know parents who are really open and stuff but my mum didn't and she was just trying her best as well my mum didn't uh didn't teach us that yeah like, I had they, they haven't been taught myself. they haven't been taught either like yeah i mean my mum my mum did an amazing job like she but she she remained she showed strength all the time and her idea of strength was like just crack on mm. and 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 that's a good strategy to a certain extent but uh, i feel eventually you have to it's really important to 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 learn to talk openly about your vulnerabilities and what you're going through and uh, maybe there's a bit of time that's needed to develop the language to be able to do that. It's funny, mate, when you were saying that, I think my, my best explanation of how I'm feeling is I'm fucked. 
if it's not right that's the that's just the you know it's a box that kind of just is and what, what does that mean yeah. <laughs> yeah and it, it, it does like and then you try and articulate it and then it, it's very difficult mate i'm absolutely agreeing so i just put it in that box i'm like yeah i'm fucked and i need to figure this out but it's it's so difficult even and when you when you're saying it as well i'm thinking like i came off a call last night and you know holly was like are you okay and i'm like no i'm not and she's like and within if I quickly reflect on it within five minutes, I'm disappointed, angry, sad, gutted, like, and I'm trying to get all these things out, but really, when that. I'm... Well, there's like, there's like 20 things going on at once. Yeah. And if yeah. somebody just uses one word, like fucked. Yeah. What does that mean? You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. The, cl- the classic in the, the UK is like, um, you grew up in the UK, so, you know, when you say, how are you in the UK? Uh, somebody will reply, not bad. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's almost just like a passing of the question. In yeah. Germany, I lived in Germany for two years and I had a German girlfriend for six years. And it was so funny because when she came to the UK, somebody would ask her, how, how are you? And that's a very literal question in Germany. So she would give this elaborate answer about how, how, how she was. Which is hilarious because we we almost like pass that question. It's a really important question, and we pass it in the UK yeah, as yeah. if it's nothing. Um, and that 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 language as well. When you really dissect, not bad. It's so negative. Yeah. Like like I'm not bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. So the whole point of uh, talk club is that uh, instead of asking how are you, we ask how are you out of ten. And that really stops people to think, especially men as well, who are rational, logical uh, human beings, like uh, who'd love numbers and stuff like that. Um, Actually, how am I out of 10? It's if you say six to me or five or four, then I'll I'll be like, why are you a four? Like what's going on for you at this moment in time? And it opens it opens room for a for a larger conversation to happen. Yeah, that's uh... fantastic. One that I like to use for, for myself primarily and, and a lot of people that I coach and as you've spoken about it on the show, I'm like, what are you excited about today? Because that, yeah. then, that then gives it a little bit more because it's easy, mate. And it's the way we've been trained. You ask me, how's it going? Yeah, not bad. And then it's almost like we should say that and then we can have a conversation. Whereas yeah. actually that first part of like, how are you doing? And like you say, out of 10, or what are you actually excited about today? Or, you know, what are you actually feeling? Imagine if you walked into a room and I go, Hey Dan, what are you feeling? You'd be like, what the f-? well, you wouldn't because you're yeah. aware of it, but generally people would be, no, it's very, it, but it, it's also, and, and maybe you've got some thoughts on this, mate. It's new. It's so new. And we touched on this a few minutes ago, but it's so new to everyone that that's why it feels maybe a bit sort of like, Whoa, you know, what, what, what are you talking about? So it just needs the time that we spoke about. Right. I think it's, uh, and, and I think it was so autopilot as well. Like, like you said that how are you is almost like a, a, a traditional question to open a conversation. So as soon as you add a different question into the mix, how are you out of 10? You know, what's making you excited today? That, that stumps people. It's like, whoa, I didn't expect that. And then it, it encourages people to think, whereas the how are you question doesn't encourage people to think. Yeah. We, I autopilot 
response and say I'm not bad how's it going for you I, I actually wouldn't say I'm not bad because I consciously <laughs> I, I consciously try to catch that one now because I don't like it like I, I I think it's inherently quite negative response yeah. Yeah, I'm really great. good today or something like that but even that is just a like you don't normally elaborate on much more than like I'm really good we'll move on and we'll talk about what we're here to talk about or whatever so I think these questions like how are you out of 10 and I makes uh, like what makes you excited allows people to actually um to actually talk about what's going on for them one um, good sort of a good game that people can play which is a little bit evil mate and you might not like this so I'll I'll I'll, I'll own it is hit me. <laughs> if, if if someone if someone says to you and you know that they're just going to move on how are you doing just say pretty shit and then see see what yeah. happens they'll just go okay so and then yeah. a lot of the time yeah a lot of, especially if you say it a little bit quietly and under your breath because if you are a little bit shit or you are struggling you're probably not going to go Hey mate, yeah, I'm I'm really struggling today. You know, you're not going to be very outward and energetic yeah. of it because you're in a, you know, you're in a bit of a frumpy mood. Your shoulders are rolled in. Body language is 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 not that great. So you'll you'll generally just say, yeah, I'm actually not that great. But then normally, yeah. so you can play games with people on it. It's it's a little bit. It's probably not the best way to go about it, and that's why I'm not involved in in talk club or anything like that, mate. But I think just I, I think I, I think just one. Uh, just on that like there's nothing there's nothing more beautiful than just being honest if you're not feeling great experiment just saying that and see what and see how people sit with it most a lot of people won't know how to to react because they're not used to that because it's it, it's a it's a it's a question to start a conversation in the UK how are you I'm not bad let's move on but if you said you know if you asked me how are you and I'm, I'm actually dealing I'm actually going through some stuff I'm not feeling great today. Um, there will be a lot of people who will who will recognize that and and inquire and listen and stop. And but there'll be people who just who don't know how to deal with it. But I just try to go around being honest now. Like I, I probably wasn't in the past. I would if I was feeling shit, I would and you asked me that question, I'd just be I'd just say not bad or and and we'd skip it and move on. Um I think I think especially in British culture, we have a hard time uh, talking about what we're truly feeling. Um, I, I think we've got this, I don't know if, if you'd agree or whatever, maybe in Australia, that we don't want to put our burdens on other people. And that's like, we don't like my problems are my problems. And why would I want to put them on you? kind of situation and I think that's quite destructive because actually when you share what you're going through you realize that John your mate is actually going through something a bit similar or yep. whatever <clears throat> and by you being vulnerable and opening up and sharing what you're going through it, John's like ah actually you know I can actually speak to Dan about these things rather than having our superficial conversations about football and and music or whatever you know and all of this crappy chat that's going on all the time and have some serious conversations about the deeper stuff because I, I I just I know now from from all of the conversations that I've had in psychotherapy settings that people are struggling like there's nobody is immune and we're all we're all human having having this experience with different levels of suffering um 
you just like if 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 we like i'm on a street of a hundred houses if if those if those houses were open doors and you could just walk in and uh and and witness what was going on you would walk home at night and be like wow i'm i'm not alone because there's all everything that you can imagine is going on in the street at this moment in time there's you know people are struggling with money people there's divorces there's there's all kinds of you know sadness and happiness and excitement happening on this street right now of a hundred houses or whatever and um i think just normal we don't get that perspective because we don't we don't invite ourselves to have these honest and open conversations with strangers and i think if we we did that more then we'd realize actually what i'm experiencing is quite normal amazing mate what a beautiful way to wrap up an amazing conversation i appreciate everything you've shared i appreciate your vulnerability mate i know some of those things are for a lot of people are, are not easy to talk about and you almost I don't know if it's right to say, but you talk about them with such inspiration and, and such passion. And you've given me a lot of hope and I'm sure you'll give a lot of other people hope. So Dan, I, I appreciate you and mate, we'll stay in touch. That's for sure. We, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to have another conversation. I think this is probably the start, but the next one we have mate is, is definitely going to have to be when we're running i think that's yes. the uh, i i i have the the dgi mics that you can just clip on right and i also have a sound engineer who can make the sound good even when it's windy but i've not yet done a running podcast but i think that like because that's a real conversation right you know we can we can be here on zoom and it's quite formal and you know we're recording we've got time and when you go out running and it's true what you said mate I, I love to just meeting in coffee shops is quite old school meeting, going for a walk or going for a run and actually just having a mic there would be. And I think you and I should do that, mate. So next time I'm in the yeah. UK, we should too. I think up. that's how you, that's how you access men as well. Free yeah. movement and nature, like a stale kind of room doesn't, doesn't cut it. So <laughs> I think you're onto something there. Maybe, <laughs> maybe all of your, maybe all of your podcast should be on uh, i just struggle with the video version i'll be running with my arm out here with a camera trying to get it but we'll <laughs> we'll figure something out dan you're an absolute legend mate I, I really do appreciate it and mate thank you honestly that was absolutely brilliant really cool